Hey, Parkview, I'm in the Indy area preaching this weekend at Northview Church in Carmel. Um, it's kind of my last thing I need to do to get ready for this convention. I lead the North American Christian Convention for 7,000 church leaders in uh, July, July 8th through the 11th. And so I'm preaching in one of the area churches this weekend. And uh, I really want to encourage you to be thinking about coming, even if you haven't thought up to this point. Love for you to get on the website and see what's going on. It's going to be a great convention. It's two and a half hours away. And uh, it, it's a big deal. It's an important thing for us. Uh, we're working on the curriculum for the DVD that goes along with the teaching, that goes along with the book, that goes along with this convention. And I would ask for your prayers because uh, there's just a lot of stuff to do in this last month and, and get everything ready to go. The book's at the printer and hopefully everything's moving along. So as I'm gone, um, I asked Chaz to preach. Okay, Chaz was our intern. Uh, he was my preaching intern, but now he's on staff. We've hired him and Chelsea to stay uh, because we just thought they did such a great job and added so much and and, uh, and so I wanted him to preach uh, you don't know this but Chaz was already a great communicator he, he's 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 already preached at a lot of different places and and so I know you're going to be encouraging to him today and I wanted to give him a shot so he's starting this Moses thing for us don't miss Mike Singletary next weekend live at all five services I will be interviewing him at all five two on Saturday night uh, but for today I wanted Chaz to get us started on the Moses thing uh, so would you please welcome Mike Daniel son, Chaz Robbins. Thank you, Tim, and thank you, Parkview. You know, as Tim said, Chelsea and I came a year ago, and when we came, we were expecting, you know, a fun place. We loved Jesus, a great place to work, and that's what happened. And, you know, we expected to get to know a lot of great people, make a lot of good friends, and we've done that as well. But when we came, we didn't expect to find family. And so Chelsea and I would just like to thank you for being just that for us family and for how you've loved, for, uh, loved us and cared for us and supported us. Because if you're new here, I mean, you're in luck because that's just what this place is, is, is a family. So thank you for that. And as Tim said, I've been his intern this last year. And many of you have come up to me and asked me, well, what's it been like being Tim's intern this year? And so to answer your question, I've put together this quick video montage of some of our favorite times together. Now ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Wax on. Right the hand to make a circle. Wax off. Yeah, hand. I learned plenty. I learned how to say. You didn't know Tim was such a karate master, did you? No, actually, I showed you that because the moments in our life when we least expect it are often the times when we are most formed and transformed in our life. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get there, let me pray and ask God to bless our time together. Uh, Father, we love you and we thank you for um, this story of Moses that you've given us. And I, I pray that uh, we might be sensitive and listen to how you desire to mold and transform us into being the people that you've ultimately created us to be. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. One day, a man was going to visit his friend on a farm, and as he was driving up his friend's driveway, he noticed that there were targets all around his barn, about 20 in all, and he looked a little closer and noticed that every target had the bullseye hit right in the middle. And so fascinated, he goes up the rest of the way of the driveway and greets his friend, and first thing he asks is, 
man, John, did you see the, somebody's doing shooting practice on your, your barn there? And they're a great shot. Who was that? And his friend said, oh, well, that was, that was me. And he asked, well, how did you get to be such a great shot? And John replied, well, that's easy. You just shoot first and draw a bullseye around whatever you hit. <laughs> it's easy to make your life look like it's on target. When all we do is just shoot first and wherever we end up, we just draw a target and say, oh, well, that's good enough. That'll do. But in reality, if we're honest with ourselves in our heart of hearts, we know that when we do that, we're settling for less than who we really are and who God made us to be. So how do we go from people who just shoot and draw the bullseye around wherever we end up to people who are truly transformed and, and the people that God created us to be? The answer is, I think we need to go through a transformation. And so that's what we'll be talking about in these next three weeks, using the story of Moses kind of as the backdrop and our example to look at what God was able to, to work and do in Moses and what can be true for our lives as well. So we're looking at three major stages of a life when, when you allow God to work in you. And I know some of you may not be there today and you may not be, be ready for that step. But when you are, I like how um, in the book, The Making of a Leader by J. Robert Clinton, he gives these three stages. And the first stage is this, is that God works in me. This is the time where God spends preparing us and equipping us to be the people and to do the things that he's made for us to do. And that's what we'll be looking at in Moses' story. The second one is this, is that God works out of me or through me. This is the most observable time in your life where it can be seen that God's working. For Moses' life, this would be like the Ten Commandments that God gave him, or the parting of the Red Sea, or Moses being the leader who would lead the Israelites out of the slavery and bondage that they were in. And Tim will be talking about this in two weeks. The third stage of life is this, is that God works beyond me. God working beyond me is that stage where you're kind of the wise sage and you're the one who's trying to finish strong and passing on generational success and that your legacy to those who will come after you. And so those are the three stages. Today, like I said, we're going to be in stage one. And uh, in Moses' story, it starts at the very beginning of Exodus chapter one. And we'll be covering Exodus one through three. And just to let you know, we're just going to be given the, the Cliff Notes version of this. I want to challenge you actually to take 15 to 20 minutes of your week this next week and just sit down and maybe a, a read a chapter a day of, of Moses' life to get to know this story on a deeper level. Level. But we're going to be starting in Exodus 1. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It picks up right where Genesis leaves off with Joseph. And Joseph has just saved the Israelite people and he's really saved the entire Egyptian people from the great famine that was in the land. And the Pharaoh, the ruler in Egypt, loved Joseph. And he, he really liked what he, was going, what he was doing. But that ruler was no longer the ruler in Egypt anymore. And a, a new pharaoh was ruling over the land. And he had forgotten all the things that Joseph had done. And he had a problem on his hands. He began to worry about the Israelites. And in Exodus chapter 1, it records Pharaoh saying this. He says, look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. 
come. We must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So Pharaoh has a problem with this growing group of Israelites that are in his country. And so for his problem, he, he issues a decree. His plan is to order a decree that all of the male Israelite babies were to be killed when they were born. Now, the midwives who were supposed to carry out this order thought that was a little harsh. And so what they did was that they didn't follow along to Pharaoh's plan. And so Pharaoh has to go one step further. And he says, fine, all of the Israelite babies under two years old are to be thrown into the Nile River and they'll be executed that way. And so this is the setting of the stage when Moses was born. I wonder what Moses was like as a baby. I wonder if it was ever hard to give Moses a bath. Like if his mom ever had this problem. Moses, stop parting your bath water and take a bath. <laughs> I don't think that ever really happened. And if that doesn't make sense, Tim will talk about it in a couple of weeks. But, <clears throat> but Moses was born into this setting, into this scene. And Moses' mom tries to hide him for the first three months of his life. And you know how well hiding a, a baby goes. She realizes that she can't keep this up forever. So what she does is she takes her precious little baby, whom she loves, and she puts him in a basket that she made, and she floats him down the Nile River, trusting in God. And in a way that only God can act, none other than Pharaoh's very daughter, sees this precious baby and, and just falls in love and, and picks him up and wraps him up in her arms and wants to raise this baby Moses as her own. But she realizes that she can't yet provide the nutrients and the nursing that Moses needs in his early years of life. And so in a moment of brilliance, Moses' sister jumps out from behind the bushes as she's watching all these events take place. And she, she jumps out and tells to Pharaoh's daughter, hey, I have an idea. How about we take the baby and I'll give her to one of, I'll give him to one of the Israelite ladies who's able to nurse but doesn't have a child and... Pharaoh's daughter agrees, and Moses ends up being able to be raised by his very own parents for the first years of his life. And I think in these first years of his life are the time when Moses' parents lay the foundation for who he is and the part of the people of which he's born into and who God is in his life. And so Moses goes on and Moses' uh, mom realizes that she can't raise her son forever without Pharaoh's, having to give him back to Pharaoh's daughter. And so Exodus chapter 2.10 says this, is that when the child grew older, she, Moses' mom, took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. And from this point in Moses' life, he was raised in the palace of Pharaoh, in the leadership family. I believe likely being groomed for some type of leadership capacity and responsibility for the nation of Egypt. But when Moses is about 40 years old in his life, he begins to feel the weight of who he really is and uh, the people that he's truly a part of. So he's out at a work site one day and there's an Egyptian foreman who's beating one of his Israelite slaves. And Moses gets so frustrated and so ticked off about what's happening that he goes so far to kill the Egyptian foreman who is doing the beating. 
And thinking nobody saw what he did, he hides the body and thinks he's okay. But somebody saw him and word spread of what Moses did and it spread all the way to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh got so upset that he began to pursue Moses to try and take his own very life in repayment for what he had done. You see, Moses then has to spend the next 40 years of his life in isolation as being a shepherd. And during this time, he would meet his wife and God would prepare him for the works and the things that he would have for him to do. I like how one pastor puts it about this stage in Moses' life. He says, it took the first 40 years as a prince in the palace to give him the skills of a leader, but it took the second 40 years in the desert to give him the character of a leader. Now, I'm 24. I know some of you think I'm like 16 or something like that. But I'm 24, and I hope it doesn't take another 60 years in my life to be prepared to do the things that God has for me to do. But in Moses' life, he learned the very important skills of leadership that he would need to lead his Israelite brothers and sisters during his time in the palace. But he did not yet have the character to handle the authority that was coming his way. I don't know how God developed this character that he needed during those 40 years in the desert. Maybe it was the mass amount of time that he had on his hands that he could just think about all of the bad decision, the bad decision with the Egyptian man that he made or the, all the different things that he could have done otherwise. Or maybe, you know, maybe it was his work as a shepherd, the ability to have compassion and care for those he was leading. That was how God developed. I don't know how God developed Moses, but I know he works in all of us specifically for who we are and how we each individually need to be transformed. But Moses, like I said, couldn't handle the authority that was coming his way. And sometimes People don't handle authority very well. One day, a man walked into the, he had a, a doctor's appointment to get some simple blood work done. And so he, he goes and gets through the waiting room and meets the nurse on the other side. And the nurse says, all right, sir, room one, take off your clothes, get on the exam table. He pushes back, oh, hold on. I don't know that like, that's all that necessary to <laughs> have to do that. It's just some simple blood work. It's not that big a deal. And she still pushes back, no, room one, take off your clothes, get on the exam table. And she's like, listen, you don't understand. It's just simple blood work, not that big a deal. She's like, no, room one, get in there, take off your clothes and get on the exam table. And like, all right, fine, whatever you say. So he gets into the room and to his surprise, there's another man standing in the corner without any clothes on. And he says, geez, she sure is pushy, isn't she? And the man in the corner replies, tell me about it. I'm the UPS driver. <laughs> Sometimes people don't handle authority very well. In the next 40 years of Moses' life, God teaches him to handle the authority that's coming his way. I like what the evangelist D.L. Moody says about a breakdown in Moses' life. He says that it took the first, we have it here, I have it here, that Moses spent the first 40 years thinking he was a somebody. And he spent the next 40 years learning he was a nobody. But he spent the last 40 years learning what God can do with a nobody. It was imperative that in those desert years, he realized who he truly was as a nobody. But then when he realized that, God could use him 
and what God could do through a nobody. So how does Moses go from a nobody shepherd in the desert to the leader of the nation of Israel that God would make him into? <laughs> what happened was something that Moses wasn't expecting. I find it interesting. Often what we expect is not the reality of what we find. One time Chelsea and I were living in Missouri at the time and we were going to Colorado where Chelsea's parents are from. And in order to get from Missouri to Colorado, you have to go through like the most godforsaken part of America, also known as Kansas. Sorry, I'm just from Missouri. <laughs> it's how I see it. And so we, our plan was to, to work that day, get off a little early, and then make it to Colorado late that night. And so we get off work according to plan, and we start our drive, and we make it to Salina, Kansas, where we have dinner. And as we're eating, we realize that off to the west, that the clouds are getting this darker shade of gray, and that there were obviously going to be some storms that we had to drive through. But we went ahead and kept going, and as we continued to head west, the clouds just kept getting darker and darker and darker, and just this nasty shade of gray and green, and it was getting bad. And even as we were going, the, the tornado warning started popping up on the radio, and Chelsea's really starting to freak out at this point. But I assured her that a skilled driver like myself could make it through any of the storms that, that were coming. And we made it until about the next exit <laughs> and pulled off and realized, okay, yeah, we probably shouldn't go any further. And, you know, lucky for us, there were like 11 tornadoes <laughs> that night that were all across where we were headed. And so we turn around and we're too far to go back to Missouri. And so we get back to Salina and start looking around to try to find a place to stay. And so we go from motel to hotel to hotel. We can't find a place to stay because we find out that there's literally a youth volleyball softball and baseball tournament all that weekend happening in Salina. And so there's no hotel rooms available. And we resort to finally just starting to call all the different places that were on our GPS. And we finally get a hold of one place that has one room for us. And so perfect, we'll take it. And we, we make it to the, the hotel. And this is about what we found when we drove up. The nastiest, creepiest motel that you've ever seen. <laughs> we walk into the office and the lady behind the reception desk there is on her cell phone talking to somebody on the other line saying, okay, so our procedure is we don't let him back in the room and we're supposed to call the police. Okay, okay yeah. We, and she sees a stunned look on her face like we're scared. And she goes, it's okay. It's just a domestic violence case. Thanks. Better than the homicide that was last week, I guess. But I say that because <laughs> Chelsea and I leaving that day did not expect to find tornadoes all across Kansas on our way. And when we learned we had to find a place to stay, we didn't expect the motel that we ended up staying to be the place where we would have to stay. But often our expectation of what we're searching for is not the reality of what we find. And it's true of God as well. And it's true of the story with Moses because of what happens next. Moses was just out tending his flocks, minding his own business, when all of a sudden something unusual catches his eye. And he wants to investigate what this strange sight might be. So in Exodus chapter 3, verse 3, it says, 
So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I don't know about you, but for me, when I, try, when I picture this story, so, so much of the time, I've pictured the burning bush as this giant big bonfire out in the middle of the desert that Moses couldn't help but see. And that might have been the case, but from what the text says next, I'm not so sure that's how it was. Because the text says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at it, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. See, I believe, you know, God honored Moses' willingness to be able to investigate what possibly might be from God. Maybe that burning bush wasn't the big bonfire in the desert, but maybe it was just something where Moses felt, man, God might be in this, and so I better go see what it has to be about. The truth is, God's speaking to all of us. I, I like what the author Elizabeth Barrett Browning says. She says, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck back blackberries. See, the truth is, is God's speaking. In our story today, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. Now, I would be a little worried if God spoke to any of you through a burning bush. But the truth is that God's speaking to us all. And even though he may not use a burning bush, he has a message and a purpose and a plan for our life that he wants us to know. And we need to have the sensitivity and the willingness to be able to investigate what God might be speaking in our lives. So here's how the conversation goes when Moses was willing to listen to God. And Moses said, here I am. So God replies, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, and the God of Isaac. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The only appropriate response when somebody comes face to face with the creator of the world is to realize that you're not worthy to be in his presence. And so, Mo, so God continues in their conversation and tells him about how he's seen the pain and the suffering that his Israelite people are going through, how, who Moses's brother, what Moses' brothers and sisters are going through. And he says, Moses, I want you to do something about this. I want to use you as the leader to take these people out of the slavery and bondage that they're in. And he continues in, in verse 10 and says, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? It's a fair question. Fair question that Moses asked because before God can do anything through us, we need to understand who we are and whose we are in God. And so in response to Moses' question, God says this, uh, and God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. God responds and says, I will be with you. That whenever we allow God to work in our life, then we no longer are doing anything on our own ability or our passions or abilities, but that it's God working in us, that God's for us, and he's with us in all we do. 
Hope you know Parkview Christian Church exists and is able to do all the ministries that we're able to do, not because Tim's a great leader, which he is, or because it's filled with great people, which Parkview is filled of, but it's because God is with us and God is for us, calling us to be his people in our communities. And that's why we're able to do what we're able to do. And so Moses responds and says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? What is, it? what is his name? Another good question by Moses, because with a name carries the weight of authority and importance, right? If I came to you today and said, well, Pastor Tim told me to tell you this, it would carry a weight of importance and authority. Or if I came to you and said, the president of the United States told me to tell you this, it, it, it would have authority and importance to the message that I gave you. And so Moses asked the name of who he was supposed to attribute this authority and importance. And so God said to Moses here, this is, I believe, the most important passage in our study today. And one of the entire, one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. And God says this. He said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, that I am has sent me to you. Now, if Moses were me in this point in the conversation, he'd be like, oh, what, are you, what are you talking about? What's this I am who I am? Is this like some Dr. Seuss riddle or something that, <laughs> that you're trying to give me here? I don't understand that. And I think that's because as humans, we work really well off, off reference points. If something's unknown to us, we like saying, well, that is like this. If we're trying to explain like an unknown band to, to somebody, you might say, oh yeah, that band's like a cross between uh, Jay-Z and Mumford and Sons. I don't know what kind of band that would be, but you, you get the idea. Or if you were explaining a book that was unknown, you would say, oh yeah, that book's like a, a cross between Harry Potter and the Lord of the Rings. Or if you were describing something that was really incredible, that was really awesome, you would say, oh man, they're, they're like the 85 bears. I mean, they're like undefeatable, like they're unstoppable. They're amazing. Well, here, what God is saying here in the passage is he's saying that not even the 85 bears are an adequate reference point for myself. That the, I'm the God who's all-powerful. I'm the God who's all-knowing. And I'm here revealing myself to you because I want you to know me. And here's what he says next. God, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And this is my name that you're to remember me by. But, but going back here, I want us to, to pay attention to the, the actual name that God says. When he says, the, the Lord, the God, literally in Hebrew, it, says, it reads, Yahweh Elohim. Elohim being the word, more of a general description of God, more of a, a general name for God or a God. But the Lord, this word here, Yahweh 
was the personal, intimate name of God that he's revealing to Moses here, saying, hey, whenever you hear my name, Yahweh uttered, remember this conversation that I have with Moses. Remember that I'm the, I am who I am, the one who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, but that I'm also present with you in all of your pain, in all of your struggles, in all and everything that you're going through. I am with you, and that I am is here with you. And so the truth of the story is this, is that the height of God working in us is God revealing his identity to us. All of the wilderness experience that Moses went through, all of the time of preparation that Moses had to go through was for him to be revealed the identity of God. And that's true for us as well. Now, I know you may be here and say, yeah, that was, you know, that was great for Moses that he revealed his identity to him. And that was great for the Israelite people who Moses led. But, but really, Chaz, what, I mean, what does that have to do about my life? What does that have to do about me? Well, I have three observations from our story here um, that I think will help us understand what we can take away from our story today. The first observation is this, is that we want the burning bush without the wilderness, we want that burning bush experience like Moses experienced, getting to talk directly to who God is and be able to, to hear and understand his identity. But we don't want those 40 years in the wilderness that Moses had to go through. I associate it to before I knew I wanted to do ministry. It was my dream to play football in the NFL. Now, don't judge me, but... I wanted to, to play for the University of Missouri Tigers and be drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, obviously, that didn't work out for me. But I wasn't the only kid who grew up with that dream to play in the NFL. Now, tons of people do that. I think so few get there because so few realize the amount of work and the hours of practice and weightlifting and dedication that it takes to make it into the NFL and be a professional football player. I think it's true of our, our life with God as well. That if we really want God to do a work in us, then my question is, how bad do you want that to happen? I mean, how bad do you really want a burning bush experience where you get to hear from God intimately? Because if you want it, I, I think it'll happen. God will make a way to make it happen. So that's our first observation. The second is this, is that God is speaking to us all if we'll just listen. Like I said earlier, God, you know, speaking to all of us, and if, probably not in a burning bush for us, but he's still speaking to us. And you may say, what are you talking about? I've been coming to hear Parkview for a while, and, and I don't hear God. I, I don't know what he's trying to tell me in my life. And to you, I say, well, you're in the right place. Because what happens here on our weekend worship is one of the primary ways that I believe God communicates to us as his people. The other thing I would have for you is this, is how much of your Bible are you reading? Because if we want to be able to hear the message that God has for us in our life, then we need to be able to, to maybe read what he's already said, the Bible being the story of God, revealing himself 
to us. We need to be able to do that. And if that's something that maybe you hear that and you say, well, wow, that's kind of intimidating. I don't, I don't even know where to start with reading my Bible. I'd like to invite you to our next After We Believe class. It's a great class taught by Pastor Casey. Uh, next one is June 28th, Saturday from 8.30 to 12.30. And this is a, a class that just you know, makes the Bible and prayer a whole lot less intimidating and how to be able to do those practices for us to be able to listen to God. So third observation, third and final observation is this, is that God's not the God we want. He's the God that we need. I don't know why you're here this morning, or we're all here for a number of different reasons. Maybe you were just dragged here by a spouse or a friend that made you come, or maybe you're here and you heard we had free coffee, and so you just wanted a free cup of coffee, and you, you joined us this morning. Maybe you got stuck in traffic on 183rd and Wolf Road and said, well, everybody else is going to Parkview, so I guess I'll just jump on in and, and see what this is all about. I don't know why you're here this morning. Maybe you're here because you grew up in a family who, who forced religion and God on you. And it forced you to become distanced and disenfranchised from what God, the way he wanted to work in your life. And so living void of God in your life left you without meaning and purpose. And so you came back being drawn to God for some type of spiritual direction that you knew that you needed. Maybe you're here because it was some type of personal crisis that you went through. A loved one may have passed, or you had a divorce, or somebody's bad decisions had a major impact on you, and you just were searching for relief. For me, the first reason why I really came to God was that, is that I was searching for relief. That... Uh, my family growing up, you know, on the outside, we looked like we had it all together, that we were pretty good. But, the, but on the inside, man, we were far from perfect. Because perfect. from early as I can remember till about my junior high years, uh, my father struggled severely with alcoholism. And it was difficult. It was rough on my family. It was, it was rough on me to try to, you know, process all of this. Why is this happening to me? And for me, I was searching for relief. Now, fortunately for me and my family, my father found the help that he needed, and um, he's recovering from his alcoholism, and we have a great relationship, and, um, you know, we still have a great relationship to this day, um, but, but it was tough, and I first came to God searching for relief, and, and what I found was the relief that I was looking for, but what I found was, um, was a youth minister who invested in me and loved me like I'd never experienced before. I found a, a group of friends who have been with me to this day, who are some of my best friends in the world. And oh, what I ultimately found was a Savior, Jesus, who took my sins and gave me the relief that I needed in that moment, but didn't just leave me in the relief that I was looking for, but took me on to make me the person that I was always created to be and to live the life that is only found in him. And the beautiful thing about God is that we can come to him for all the wrong reasons, but stay for all the right ones. 
Chelsea, my wife, I think gets the uh, Wife of the Year Award for what she gave me uh, this year for my birthday. She gave me an opportunity to, gr- to drive a Lamborghini at a racetrack just north of Chicago. It was such an incredible experience. I actually even got a picture of it here, me in front of the car. And we get there that day, and I was so excited. They go through the little class of what to expect and how to handle the turns and everything. And we even have a, a picture, or a video of me drive and watch it because it comes fast here. That was awesome, wasn't it? I was so excited that day to be able to get there and drive that car. And I got to say, I was excited for that quarter million dollar acceleration that there was on that Lamborghini. But after that video, when I came into the first turn, I quickly became thankful for the quarter million dollar braking system (laughs) that was also on that car. Because what we come for is not always the reason that we stay for. The beautiful thing about God is that when we allow him to come and do a work in us, he's not the God that we want. He's the God that we need. And in Moses' life, when Moses was a baby and he allowed Moses and protected Moses in those years of infancy in which he shouldn't have survived, God was being not the God that Moses wanted, but the God that Moses needed. And when God forced Moses into that isolation period, from that, into that wilderness desert experience in his life after he made that fatal mistake of killing the Egyptian, he wasn't being the God that Moses wanted. He was being the God that Moses needed. And in our lives, when, when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, he wasn't being the God that Moses wanted. He was being the God that Moses needed. And when God sent his one and only son to die for our sins so that we might know him and have life in him, he's not being the God we want. He's being the God that we need. And in our lives, when he calls us to do the things he's called us to do, he's not being the God we want. He's being the God we need. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will always be. Do you know him? His love is limitless. His grace is glorious. And his power knows no ends. Have you met him? This is the great I am, the one who wants to speak to you and has a message for your life and wants to do a work in you. Will you listen to him? Will you let him? Because God wants to. It's now the time in our service where we celebrate and remember communion. Now, if God revealing himself to Moses in a burning bush was miraculous and incredible, What's even more miraculous and incredible was on the New Testament, God fully revealed himself to us in Jesus. The great I am that we just sang about put on flesh and came and dwelt with us. And went so far to, to die for our very sins so that we might have life in him. And that's what we remember now. Just a few moments, the trays will be passed, and go ahead, there'll be two cups in that. Go ahead and pull both cups out and wait, and we will all commune together. And just to let you know, you don't have to be from Parkview to uh, remember communion with us. If you're a believer in Jesus and following him, we invite you to commune with us as well. So let's pray for communion. 
God, uh, man, thank you for today. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for revealing yourself to us and then giving us your identity. And God, I pray that uh, in these moments that we might remember and reflect on what that means, what that means for our life and the power that we have in you. We love you and it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.